hot while we're cooling out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing in my teeth, though. Not looking good. Looking I, uh, good. Okay. Very good. Uh, very good. Nah. Alright. Well, can you introduce yourself and um, where you're from? Uh, so, my name is Angel Taylor, and am I talking to you or this? The oh, camera? Yeah. I'll talk to you. I'll just look at this. The, yeah. That little thing there? Yeah, just there. Because it looks like you're looking that way. Oh, yeah, cool. Because yeah. I don't want. Yeah. So it looks like you're looking I know, you're going to have to take this all out. I'm so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry. Um, yeah, because I know. Yeah. Okay. Alright. Yeah, and just put that on the ground. I just see yeah. yeah. Alright. Yeah? So, so, yeah, can you introduce yourself for everybody and um, where you're from? Alright, so I'm Angel Taylor and I'm from Rotorua, uh, born in Whakatane, uh, Whakapapa from Waipero Bay, uh, Tolaga Bay, Ngāti Pūrō, all the way up to Kennedy Bay, Coromandel, and yeah. <laughs> well, can you tell me about your parents at all? Um, so, it's a bit of a long story. <laughs> um, so I was whāngai to um, my dad, um, hence why the last name Taylor. And yeah, so I've pretty much been with him and my mum since I was uh, going on three months old. Um, but in regards to my real dad, he, he is um, a Nuean, full Nuean, and my biological mother, she is. Uh, Russian Māori, so yeah, but my parents that I grew up with, um, yeah, definitely Te Arawa, and um, yeah, they're still alive. <laughs> also, how was it for you, you know, growing up and um, in the area, how was the area you grew up in? And so I grew up in uh, Rotukawa or Fata, um, which is um, close pretty much out by the airport in Rotorua. Um, we had a, there was only three houses up on my farm um, and there was me and my parents, there was our great great Koro's house and we also had um, my uncle's house who lived a paddock next door. Um, growing up was um, Interesting. <laughs> I'm so not prepared for this, but yeah. Um, so my uncle was um, definitely Mangro Mob Rotorua. Um, he was everything to me. He taught me a lot of things growing up. Taught me how to ride a horse, ride a dirt bike. Um, my parents were were good, but I think growing up into a young teenager. You know, you start to get rebellious and things start to uh, change. And um, the whole gang life, the whole the whole lifestyle and just the normality of it was, um, it was hard to sort of break out of as I got older. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so obviously so many people would already know your face. They've been around on social media and things like that. Um, like you've said, back in 2015, you sort of released a bit of your testimony, which um, 
ended mm. up going viral and things like that. So I mean, um, uh, like so, so sort of um, how I was being exposed to the gang life and things, especially as a, a young girl or a woman, you know, how, how was that for you? Um, to be honest, that was, I didn't know any different. So um, it wasn't until I started getting older, realizing that um, going to court all the time and and doing drugs all the time and you know stealing cars, doing everything under the sun, kind of was hindering me. Like I realized that I couldn't do certain things because I had gotten myself into too much trouble. Um, I can't, I can't say that 100% of the time, you know, growing up in a gang lifestyle was bad because I still have family and friends that are still in the gang life and we love each other, you know, no matter what. But for myself personally, I'm a, I'm a wahine, I'm not a, a, a male, I'm not a, a guy or a tani, you know, like, I'm, I'm a wahine who wants who has dreams and goals and I believe that those dreams and goals just weren't I wasn't able to really even really get a good good chance to have a good look into them because of the lifestyle that I was used to yeah and just in regards to the gang side of things you know like I've got nothing against them it's just more of a choice that something that works better for me and that's and me and my children, so, yeah. Well, so how many children do you have? I have four. Um, I do have five, actually. Um, I have my daughter, her name is Riley. She's buried um, with my nan in Koroa, Reporoa, at Ohaki Marae. Um, yeah, so she, she would be 15 now, so I was seven months pregnant when I was you know, just going on seven months with her and I ended up losing her just due to drug use and stupid decisions and stuff. Um, but yeah, but I have four children here with me and um, they are 20, 19, 11 and 9 and I'm now a grandmother. <laughs> And her name is Leilani. She is nearly six months old. So yeah, and I just turned 37. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Oh, no, that's really awesome. I mean, well, look, you know, like going back a bit. I mean, who were your role models growing up, and who did you sort of look up to? Um, one of my biggest. Um, I had so many aunties and uncles. My biggest go-to was. Sorry. My nan, my nan and Koro. Um, my Koro was a grumpy old man, and my nan was kapaka hard. You know, she had, you know, I'd go home to their house all the time. I'd go and have holidays there, and you know, it would be. My nan's got her little TV and her lazy boy chair, and then my Koro was right next to her, and he had the same chair, and he had his little TV, and it was, you know, there were, it was either horse races or tikariri. And all you heard of my nan was just real all the time. So um, my nan was like the coolest person I could ever, ever want to be with. 
and I became that mokopuna that was always with her at the marae, always with her at the hui, at any hui our whanau had, um, every tangi, eating all her pk chewing gum, like, you know, I was that moko, so, you know, um, she, she was one, one person in my life that meant a lot to me. Um, but in terms of inspiration, I personally didn't really have anyone that actually gave that to me. But I have music. So, you know, like Tupac and TLC and Brandy Monica and all the 80s and 90s R&B hip hop. Music became my, my go-to inspiration. And so my fashion sense changed at primary I was already at intermediate trying to rock t Boz's haircut, <laughs> like it was all this kind of, you know, that, that was my, that was my go-to, so, and music has always been my inspiration since, along with my therapy, yeah. So I mean, how did life um, progress for you through your younger years and through primary and then intermediate, like you said, how did um, the years sort of progress in that time? Um, it was... It was challenging because although my name is Angel, social media and everyone knows me as Angel, but my dad called me Candy, you know, and so growing up with the name Candy Taylor, I was constantly, hey Roger, <coughs> I was constantly bullied because of my name. And I used to mentally, not that I, you know, I didn't really actually know this at the time, but like, now that I'm an adult, you can look back and you can see how much it affected me with kids calling me names, boys always chasing me and all that kind of stuff. Maybe it was the generation, but however, it still did a lot of damages. Um, and being pretty, it was, um, and, and naive, it was, it's a bad combination. And if you're not really um, looked after, I'm not saying my parents didn't look after me, it was just um, to define what family was for me was quite difficult because I knew that they weren't my real parents um, and I didn't know my real parents at the time. So there was a lot of um, identity crisis is what I can say in regards to just um, knowing myself knowing myself um, and, and that. But all I ever wanted was to just have family and, and friends and stuff like that. So it was tough because everyone, everyone liked me, but yet it, yeah, it just never stayed like that. I've got friends that I've had since primary, but as much as I would love it to be close, like how you would think it would be, but it, it, it genuinely isn't. It's just, you know, people, everyone knows people, so yeah, it was tough. Well, I mean, to be sort of raised in that world, like, um, oh, sorry to go back, so you were saying that your your dad was Monday night, was it? Not my dad, my, no, my uncle, yeah. Your uncle. So what was that like? Um, it was, like, to be honest, there, I, there was nothing bad about it, you know, like, um, as kids, like, he, he is actually family to my family down the line, but because when I, I was six years old when we finally moved out to our farm, our Rotokawa, 
um, up Pukipoto, um, he became like a real, like an uncle to me all the time because every day of my childhood I was on my farm, they were there, he was there too and although he was mongrel mob, like he was so good to me. Um, always, you know, it was, there was nothing really scary um, that I saw apart from us kids, like his actual nieces and nephews and kids and stuff that, you know, we're just farm kids. We we're always on the bikes, always on the horses. Um, his second eldest son really is like my big brother and um, he's always looked out for me. So, um, yeah, and I, I remember before he passed away in 2019, you know, he, he, you know, like we got to share about what it was like for me growing up, you know, in that whole scenery and stuff. And, um, you know, there were some things there that um, he didn't know about that I did tell him about. So they had a bit of a, our family, our whānau had a bit of a falling out. And um, the falling out ended up leading me and my parents to leaving our farm, renting it out to other family and my parents moved into town but this falling out um, ended up getting quite ugly to a point where I felt like I needed to do something because by the time that was when I was 13 and by the time I was 13 I was already sexually active, I was already smoking drugs, smoking everything, drinking, driving, you know, and um, I ended up with a chapter of the mob that ended up um, having me for like a couple of weeks and, you know, there's rumours going around saying, yeah, Candace got, you know, she got gang banged and blocked, she got the block. And I didn't get that. But to be forced to have sex to, with um, the prayers of that chapter and his wife, you know, it's sick. And that was only so they would leave my family, my family alone. Um, when I was sharing that with my uncle, he 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 was so sorry that he that that had happened to me, and he had you know like, and I was like, it's okay, like I'm I'm healed from that now and you know just um, you if you want to live you you've got to be willing to heal you know um, and forgive and and just move on so when before he passed away um, we got to talk about these things and he just said to me because you know what bub you've grown up to be a beautiful wahine and I couldn't be pr I couldn't be more proud and, and, and it made me cry because we were sitting in the car and we were a little bit wasted. <laughs> and I was like, straight up, I'll go this match you know. And, and yeah, so I can't say that just because he was uh, um, in the mob, um, I had a hard upbringing. It was more so just our own hood. Our hood, our Rotorua, out the east side, and if you're from the east side, y'all know. Hey, it's real. It's, it, it is Mangamob. It ain't nothing else. Um, yeah.
Obviously, you know, I've read a bit about your testimony and, and what you're, the things that you've been able to overcome, and so have a lot of others. And I know a lot of women will be watching this. Uh, I mean, growing up, I read that, you know, that you were, obviously, including what you just talked about, obviously, a victim of sexual assault and things like that. So how do you think that shaped your future decisions that you ended up making? Um... It took me a long time to love myself genuinely and understanding what it meant to be about loving myself first. Um, for years I had um, suffered with um, not only being a runaway child and, and, and feeling neglected and feeling um, rejected in every single way on top of that sexual abuse but you know it I suffered from just being easy you know um, easy to fall in love easy to end up with the next guy and the next guy and the next guy and after a while you know it just was it was killing me inside because mm, no guys would love me like how I love them. And so it, it caused a lot of um, unstable relationships and becoming a teen mom. I had two sons by the time I was 17. Um, no regrets for them, but if I, if I was, uh, if I was, to maybe be nurtured a little bit more extra and and got given a bit more understanding, I might might have been able to curve for a couple of those things that I in you know that I ended up going through myself you know so. But but that's bringing no shame upon my parents or or my family you know, everyone has their own lives and stuff and. I'm just glad I made it. Yeah. I'm glad for you. Yeah. Honestly, I'm glad for you. I mean, so, like, um, also, when did sort of, uh, can you speak on, like, um, when did sort of drugs into the picture and was that sort of to mask the pain and things like that? So, um, I first started smoking meth when I was 14. Um, I tried it with a couple old-school um, gangsters from back home and um, to be honest it was more like you know like I didn't know what I was doing but I was so already like independent and and you know out there doing my own thing didn't go home and it was kind of like my parents gave up on me but with the with smoking meth since then I ended up I ended up smoking you know, like smoking it with people um, right up until I found out I was pregnant at 15 and then yeah got into a relationship and then stayed in that had two kids got out of that by the time I was 18 and um, once I got single that was me <laughs> back on crack back on meth and I basically stayed on meth every single day until I was 26, 26, 
25 yeah. and um, you can imagine <laughs> everything that could go on in those years of smoking it after getting out of a violent relationship, um, being a teen mum. Is that the relationship you with the mother of? With the, when my first, when I first got pregnant, yeah. So how was that stage of your life? Um, you know, I mean, by the time you're hit 18, you've already gone through so much. Yeah. You know what I mean? So how was that um, period of time being a, being a mother at, a, at such a young age? Um, this is I thank my nan. My nan and Koro, you know, um, my Koro was a real, he was a white man, blue eyes, blonde hair, and my nan was moldy hard. <laughs> and if it wasn't for my nan, I probably would have lost my kids to SIFS. Um, my parents were there for my oldest son, so, you know, like, they were doing their best in order to actually help me. They weren't helping me directly, but they were helping my kids, so that's some form of help. Um, it was tough, but at the same time, it, I looked at I look back at it now and I think I was a troubled teenager. I was mentally troubled. I had no stability. I had no boundaries. I I just didn't get enough love, you know, or enough understanding. And although you know our old school generations are so different, you know, like they're like ah, you know, watch and learn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, it, you know, no affection and, and, but realistically for someone like myself that went through the things I've been through since a child, man, affection was definitely needed, you know, um, yeah. So I mean, from there, how did life sort of progress? Um, so you've, um, you've gotten out of that relationship, you've ended up back on the drugs and things like that for mm. the next couple of years. So, I mean, what were those next couple of years like? Did you maintain contact with your children? And yeah, yeah, I did. Um, come 2009, I got to a point where I was going, I was getting sentenced to jail. Um, I had over 20 convictions flying at me from just, you know, none of them are drug or alcohol related. Um, they were just more so driving, ran over a place, like GBH, all the violent ones, yeah, like that. Nah. <laughs> but like, um, it, it, it was just anger. Oh, crap. Sorry. So it, it was just anger issues, you know, and, um, so I'm, I'm facing jail, so I'm running, I'm on the run. I go from region to region. I'm like, yeah, I'm all over the place. And then on top of that, I was also managing to carry, carry um, lifetime traumas to having to deal with today's situation and, and, and you know, trying to function as this one person. So my thing was always being happy, always laughing, smoking meth because it made me happy. I was awake for too long and now I have to go to spec savers. Like, you know, there was, there, was, there was just so many things that I had to carry in regards to myself with being a trauma, like trauma person to someone that just 
wanted to love and care about others at the same time and, and, and also be a mum. So it was hard to actually collaborate with. So um, I got to a point in 2009, I ended up just giving up, you know, just just like, that's it, like this, this is it, you know. And so that's where my, my testimony came about and ended up sharing that eventually. But in 2009 is when I actually changed my life around and I went away for 10 years and um, and I done so good. I went cold turkey. I I done it, and yeah, the withdrawals. Yeah, not even that bad, you know. Not even, not even that bad. So, you know, when I look back at it, um, I ended up leaving Rotorua and I went to Tauranga and just basically, you know, I called out to God. That's what I did. Um, because there was nothing else in this world that was actually like pulling through for me. Like I, I, I've, I couldn't go to. I don't believe in an elephant with a hundred, hundred human arms. Like I, I'd never done horoscopes because my friends were the exact living example of why it don't work. You know, I, I couldn't. I just couldn't. It wasn't real enough. You know, it's like you're rubbish. Nah, uh, yeah, so I got to a point where I was just like, you know, like, why, why, I won't say 100% of the time I was innocent with all the things I've been through, but yeah, nine, I would say a good 96, 96%, because <laughs> yeah, you know, a trauma child does definitely have revenge and retaliation issues um, flying at and defense mechanisms and stuff like that, um, that you grow into as you get older. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely own my mistakes and own the things that I've done wrong, um, you know, so yeah, it's just so much, just so much to um, really sort of jot down into one conversation because it's kind of like nothing stopped, you know, nothing really stopped. So from the moment I was born, my real mother and real father have a one-night stand and then that becomes a fling. And you can imagine that in the 80s. It's just like way too much pills, way too much freaking 80s fun. Like that stuff is crazy. So, you know, and then two, three weeks after she loses me for being an unfit mother, I have no idea who my real dad is, you know. Up until five years ago, I met him five years ago. Yeah, I met her when I was like twelve. Eventually, so it was. Um, yeah. How, how was that meeting your mum? What what was what was your thoughts of her? Um. Well, I used to always ask my parents. I'd be like, "What is she like?" And then I remember my dad. They never said anything negative. They just always said, "Oh, you'll find out when you're older." You know, you'll find out when you're older. Ah, oh, you'll find out. You'll, you'll know one day. <laughs> and I thought, oh gosh. But there was something inside of me that actually, um, I, I, there was something inside of me that didn't like her. And it was because she used to actually kidnap me when I was little, when I first was illegally adopted to my mum and dad. And she used to kidnap me from kindergarten 
and like I remember this lady just being the scary witch and that was I thought that wasn't a real person but eventually it was it was actually my biological mother but um and then yeah and then when I finally met her around 11 12 years old um, I wasn't ready but it happened anyway and um, it's taken me years to get used to her um, she's had seven daughters um, I'm her third oldest and um, she's an interesting woman let's just say that yeah now, and what about, um, okay, well, how about meeting your, your father? Because that wasn't long ago. Yeah, so now that was, a, that, that was trippy. That was like, um, I think, yeah, I was in hospital in Tauranga one time. And I was, I was just super sick because, yeah, I've been a sick baby along with that trauma as well. But like, um, I'm in hospital and... And I remember when I met my real mother, I said to her, I go, what is, what, who was my real dad? And you know, she's like, oh, you know, he's tall, he's handsome, he can play the guitar, he can sing. And I'm sitting there thinking, facts, lady, I need facts. <laughs> Not this stuff, like, what the hell? But anyway, like, and he's new way in, and I was like, right, he's new way in, okay, that's probably the best thing we could come up with. Okay, cool. That's enough. Does he have a name? His name's Tony, but they call him Peter. And I'm like, what? It's like two complete different names. Okay, okay. We'll get back to that. But um, I was in hospital and she, she uh, there was this lady um, in the room with me and she was new in. And so what I, I, I you know, I, I'm like, Oh, true, far. Are you new way in? And she's like, looks at me, and I was like, I hope that's okay to ask. And she's like, yeah. And I go, oh, yeah, true. She goes, where are you from? And I went, Otorua. She goes, oh, yeah. And then I sort of went quiet, and then I just said, apparently my real dad is new way in. And she was like, wow. And then so we start talking. And she said, like, do you know your real dad's name? And I was like, his name's Tony, but apparently it's Peter as well. And she's like, oh. And I'm thinking, is this a normal thing? Like, it's not normal where I come from. So anyway, she's like, oh, that's funny. My husband's name's Peter. And I'm like, what? She goes, and, and his best friend's name is Tony. And I'm like, what? And we, we end up talking on, along that. Then her husband comes in and he looks at me and he's just like, that girl looks like, uh, hmm. carries on walking and then they're talking and then he leaves and she just goes, and she starts talking to me about it. And she's like, look, I'm not trying to think in your space or anything like that, but if I contacted Tony, who's my husband's best friend, and just asked him a couple of things, if he had a daughter out there he didn't know about. And I was like, yeah, sure. Kind of not really thinking too much about it at the time, but I was like, yeah, cool, cool. Anyway, next day it came back and they're like, you know, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, yeah, now when I look at you, actually, you do look like him. And I'm like sort of thinking, I'm sick in hospital. <laughs> I'm not really well, but 
yeah, we'll just go through with it. And, um, and then he was on the phone, she was on the phone to her husband and he's on the other phone to Tony. So they're doing like this three-way call thing. And then she goes to me, she goes, okay, so my husband's on the phone. He wants to know what your mother's name is. And I told him, I told her, and it was the same name that her husband's best friend had given that he hooked up with years ago. And, they, and he knows that they had a daughter, but she ran away with me. And it was just like, yeah. And then, and then next thing you know, we ended up meeting six months later. And, and yeah, that's where our height comes from. And that's where our ching chong eyes come from. And like, yeah, it, it's, it's buzzy. Um, I, I, I sort of had this guilt feeling like, I don't want my dad at home to feel like he didn't do enough. Well, he couldn't help me enough because I was very hard to control. But um, I had to put that feeling aside and just understand that I'm an, I, I need to know. I need to know who my real dad is because you know it, it's just it's like a closure thing. Like I, to me, my nan raised me to know that fucker papa is important because then you know where you come from where you belong and, and, and no one can ever take that away from you and also with your tamariki it's like well you don't want your your son going out to town and then coming home with a girl or you know like meets this girl they fall in love and next thing you know they're freaking whānau like you, you just don't want that so for me that was one of the biggest things I wanted to um, you know so to get to know him and I realise he's got like 18, 19 children something like that Heaps anyway, and most of us are all girls. Um, there's only I've only got two brothers, and I'm the fourth oldest. And I've met a couple of my sisters already. Um, I'm real close to one of them now, which is really beautiful. But it's funny because they've got their own stories as well to share about our real dad. Um, yeah. Yeah, so like going back to 2009, mm. so that's where you all sort of um, decided that you needed that change and things like mm. that. You were sitting, looking at a jail term and that. So what happened there? Did you end up going to jail? Or? No, like, thank goodness. Um, thank goodness. Um, I had Judge, Judge Bidwa from Tauranga. And everybody knows Judge Bidwa, man. Like we, no one even wants him to be the judge. He's a, he's like a Maori judge, but he's like he, he's just fair and harsh, you know. And in so many ways, you know, I thought he's like an uncle that just really wants to kick your butt at the marae, you know, for playing around and mucking around, you know. But um, so I ended up. Um, I ended up going to court and he ended up giving me a second chance and I was on the run for like two years. He was like, we have been trying to get you, <laughs> how long, <laughs> why did you do that and yeah, so but on my sentencing date it was, um, you know, all you could hear was him just going through the freaking eight papers, one conviction, two, and it went up to like 23, 24, and I was like, bah, is there that many? And um, so 
I'm just like, uh, you know, I had references, I had a lot of support come in on this day. Um, an auntie of mine who is in my life story and my testimony, she, she's just the most beautiful human being I could ever come across. And if it wasn't for her and her relationship with the Lord as well, you know, I, I honestly genuinely don't think I'll, I, I think I would have gone to jail. But she was supporting me and I hadn't seen her for years. And um, everyone wrote a letter and the letters didn't mean jack. The judgment one was just like, like, hey, Crimea River, you know, Miss Taylor. And I was just like, oh man, and to think I wrote, wrote a letter, like it's in my back pocket. <laughs> and then he said to me, do you have anything to say for yourself before, hey, you're going on a holiday? And I was like, fine. But I was ready, you know, like I was ready because I knew that I had, I was ready to face my consequences and stuff like that, and I was like, um, I wrote a letter, and he's like, what was that? And I was like, oh, I wrote a letter? <laughs> oh, oh, So the guy comes and grabs the letter, and I remember I only wrote like two sentences or three sentences on a big A4 paper, like, what the heck? And he, um... He ends up reading it and he's shaking his head and I'm like, oh god, I just screwed it right on up. This is going to be over in minutes. I'm off to jail. Bye, auntie. <laughs> and, um, and then he just, he was shaking his head and he looks and he goes, looks up and he goes, if it wasn't for your letter, Miss Taylor, you'll be serving, you'll, you'll be go definitely going on a, on, on a holiday. And I was like, but, but what is, what does that mean? And he's like, Because I know that you're a mother, you've got two children out there, and not once have you even brought them up. You haven't used them as an excuse. You haven't even used them as some kind of excuse to get one more chance to try again. You're just willing to do your do this and blah, blah, blah. I can't exactly remember every word, but it was along those lines. And he goes, and because of that, what you wrote here showed me that you're taking accountability for yourself and not using your children. And I think it was, like that particular week, he must have been dealing with so many people that were using their kids as an excuse to not go to jail, you know, or give a second chance or something. And I was just like, why would I do that? It's not them that did this. Like, I, I did all these bad things, you know, so. And so he was just like, instead of, because all up I was looking at actually for uh, eight years and I had to do five and I might be allowed parole in three or some, something like that. And, but instead he decided to give me a whole year of home detention um, and I had to report twice a week for a whole year, the sentence supervision. And I got the max of PD hours and back then it was 400. <laughs> and, and, and I did it, I did it. And I remember I got my first three hours, recreational hours of freedom of what I could, what I want to do. And I underestimated myself. And I said to my auntie, drop me off at the Mount and pick me up at Papamore Domain. And I'll see you there. I, I'm, it's like two hours in and I'm thinking, far, those trees are still quite far. <laughs> oh my gosh, I might need to like speed up a bit. And yeah, I was like, and my auntie was like, 
<laughs> to pick me up. So I ended up getting breached, but it got, yeah. I, I added an extra 40 hours PD community service for that. But other than that, I hadn't, I'd done everything, cleaned it up. That was it for that life. Yeah, I served my, I paid my, oh, I paid my um, dues. Mm, yeah. And yeah. So I mean, so from there, I mean, where where did um, your new walk take you from there? And I mean, and how was your relationship with God and all of this? And like, did you grow up knowing about God? And not at all. Like, I had my nan and the old school. Um, oh, we're gonna go to church, you know? Hurry up, himini. You know, like that buzz. And and I got aunties and uncles that all believe in, like that, like when you. There was church, and then there was family, and then there was, but there was no God. There was no Jesus kind of extra to really make me believe in any of that. Um, I just believe that that's just my auntie and uncle. <laughs> that's just them. <laughs> um, but my... From then, my relationship with the Lord was good. It was good and... and well, what was your introduction? What do you mean? Oh, like when did you sort of find Jesus? Or anything? So... <laughs> see, the last time I did this with somebody from TV, they twisted my story. Oh, I know, yeah. I'm not saying you yeah. But, um... So, like, before I went to court that time with Judge Bidwar, I was at a point where I gave up on every, I gave up, I, I just, I had no real friends, no real family, my kids were at my parents, like everything was, I lost, I basically wrecked my life so much that it's my life and I couldn't even fix it. And that became embarrassing. So I got to a point where I just gave up and, and started looking at people and oh yeah there's so my belief in horoscopes and all these other things I was just like it's not cutting it it was there's got to be something else there's got to be so I'm looking at human beings and just starting and this is just in my spirit kind of way you know when you daydream and like you can have your eyes wide open and you're daydreaming about something else it was like that and I'm just like man people are so horrible why would why I hate this place and I'm looking at animals because I love animals so much. Like, I can't even... The only thing that I'm happy to, like, spray and kill is flies. I can't kill ants. I can't kill bugs, spiders, nothing. Because I'm like, but it's alive. Like, yeah. So I'm looking at animals and all the creation like that. And I'm thinking... And look at that. Human beings are so horrible to them. Like, oh, human beings are so... I hate being a human. I wish I was an animal. No, I don't, because then I might be an animal caught up in animal cruelty from some human. Like, <laughs> so like that. Um, and then I started looking at our land and what, how our land from Aotearoa and then across the world, just thinking, wow, we're just wrecking our own land that we live on too. And then I went from land to ocean to the sky. And I'm just really looking at human beings, like, people thinking how much I just started to really despise our mankind. Um, 
And then I got to a point where I was basically just daydreaming, well not daydreaming, but I was in a spiritual like sort of trance. Didn't know at the time. And I'm standing in space and I'm thinking, well, we can't go any further than that because far out. I don't know what's behind it. this. Like, is, is there any behind? No, it just goes on and on and on and on. So like, what the hell? And so I'm standing in space kind of thing and I'm just like, like real talk, I feel like I've gone through the entire planet and everywhere I've like looked, there's people that have wrecked, killed, hurt, abused, like tortured. It don't matter like whether you're breathing or you're the land or the ocean or the sky. Human beings, mankind are just killing us off, you know, killing it all off. And um, I think it was just due to, it was like, this was my moment of my me being the volcano of erupting finally, like Mount Tarawera one day, far, better watch out. Nah, nah, but you know, like, just that dormant volcano that everyone just takes advantage of, whether it be with selfies or samples, you know what I mean? Like, you, you just, I felt like that. And one day you're gonna erupt. And this was that moment. But also, I was in a dark place where I was like, murder was on my mind. Suicide was not enough. There's heaps. And, um, and then I got to a point where I was like, where's my ancestors? You know, like far out, on the real, if my ancestors were really there for me, then why? They should know for a fact that I was innocent most of these times. Why would I even, why would they allow me to go through such things? Um, there's no way that they couldn't, that they could be there. Because if they're dead, they're dead. Spiritually, they, yeah, they might be alive, but they weren't pulling through for me. So why should I even give them the honor or give them, the, give them my time and day to even acknowledge properly? All I know is that I'm one child one teen, one young adult, one mother, one wahine that has suffered so much innocently. And so I was at that dead end, that dead end cul-de-sac of thinking. And so my thing was, what the heck created all of this anyway? I don't need a hundred, what are they called, gods? Whatever the frick. I don't need this, I, I don't, you know, I just, I got one, oh man, like, well, okay, what about God? The, the God, you know? Why the heck would he create such a thing? And then I was thinking, I was trying to think about all these, like, other beliefs and gods and stuff that everyone believes in, and I was just saying, nah, you know what, I don't know, well, I want the top to the top, I want the top, man. Hey, I don't need all these other little vice presidents, captains, or freaking, hey, I don't need supervisors or managers. I want the boss. Hey, and then I realized, I was like, yeah, you know what? And because at the same time, I'm looking at space, like everything, like Earth was like that big, you know? So I'm like, nah, everything, all of it. Hey, what is this called? This is universe. No, nah, existence. I want the God that created existence. How about that? 
and I was that not cocky but it was because I was in a place of desperation before either I died myself or someone else would and um Maya Shh. um and so I cried out I was like this is all I've got I don't even know what I'm crying to but I know that I don't want to get close to any of these elephant heads and hundred human arms kind of thing, even if they are real or not. I don't want to get close to that. That's not my image. It's not my vibe. <laughs> I'm still cool, but I wanted um, I wanted to know if it was real, and so I said I don't. In myself, I just said I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know if there's a special way to do this, but I know that that yeah, that top there can't be any other. It can't be. It just doesn't seem logically right to me. But okay, let's say God of existence. That thing. Your name might not even be God. Whatever. I don't know. But I was so genuine and sincere in my heart about it. You know, and so I cried out and I was just like at a breaking point of, man, are you real? Like, ah, like, just, are you real? And, um, and amongst all that blubbering mess, <laughs> I seen, I watched, I watched the spirit come out of the sky into my living room and stand right next to me and say, and I didn't even say anything straight away. And I was just like, oh my gosh, he's real, he's real, he's real, he's real, he's real. And that's all I could say. I couldn't say, so what the heck? You know, my life has been crap. Like, why did you even form me on this earth? And da -da -da -da. It, it wasn't even that. I didn't even have any room to even think that. It was just the fact that he's real, he's real, he's real, he's real. Now he didn't come down saying, oh, I'm Jesus and I'm da -da 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 -da. It was just pure, the most authentic love I could ever experience. Now everyone's like, what did he look like? And I was like, well, it wasn't human. <laughs> Clearly he wasn't human. <laughs> but his whole image as he stood there was like, like that of a person. So you, you, you know when you you have a cigarette, you're not smoking it, but you can see it just like grabbing every little touch of the wind and the unseen whatever, and it just does its thing. Um, imagine that building, like all built up in the image of a man standing there. Now he didn't even say he was a man, didn't say he was a girl either. But I knew it wasn't no Mary, and I knew it wasn't no Joseph, and I knew it wasn't no Moses. Like, I knew somehow spiritually, I knew, like, my spirit knew who that was. But physically, my physical self was like, oh, uh. <laughs> I felt like I'm going to disintegrate into dust, but I'm not, but I am, but I'm not. And he spoke to me, and he just said to me, you need to choose now. And he pointed up at the sky and like no kid I saw like a black cloud form on this side and a white cloud on this and the blue 
guy was at the back and he said you were here and pointed at the blue strip and I was just like okay if he's telling me I need to choose now and now that I know he's real oh crap man like then he's gonna know how I'm feeling and thinking right now oh my gosh and then he knows everything about me because he's real just the fact that he was real is what made me think I need to be truthful when I answer this okay am I am I serious about um okay I need to choose now but somehow my spirit knew what he was saying but physically I was just like so scared because I'd never experienced anything like that in my life and so I thought okay now that I know he's real if he know, and then he is the creator of existence oh my gosh and he knows everything oh my gosh shame then he knows everything bad I've done I'm just embarrassed like but no, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, because I feel like I'm going to die if I don't. But then when I was looking on my left, I could see the enemy and like the reality of what I was dealing with was so real. Like, it felt more real than what I was dealing with here, but that, my spirit was so infused with the love. Like, I knew for a fact that he loved me. And yet, but my reality was, it was too, it was so like, like, in my face more. But it also hurt me. So my reality was not only more real, but more hurtful. And yet, over here, someone that I felt, I don't think I, I don't think I'd ever felt that love before. And that's what made me choose him. And I had no idea about what the heck I was doing. I, I didn't know, well not so much yet, I just didn't know anything about this. You know, um, but I knew for a fact the only thing that I could go by was I asked, are you real? I'm asking the creator of existence, are you real? I'm not asking anything else or anyone else because I don't even want, I don't even have questions. And the moment I said that, that's, that's when that happened. And then when I chose when, when I sat there and I was just like, yeah, okay, cool. Okay, yeah, do I choose? I choose. Okay, I know everything about my reality and I honestly, it hurts me so much. I just want to go back and like straight up shoot people. That's how I felt. But at the same time too, my most vulnerable side of me that I didn't even know I had anymore was just so drawn to, to the creator. Hey. Um, and I knew nothing about it, nothing, absolutely nothing. I read nothing. I remember my auntie used to try and make me read a verse in the Bible and I used to think she was a witch. So I used to think everything that came from her was a witch. Like, so I was scared, like, there was, but I didn't look bad on, like, look down on anything, you know, from any of that stuff. But like, however, yeah, and, um, and so I turned to her and I said, I choose you. And from that 
stay forward. I watched my life orchestrate, be orchestrated before my eyes to the point where I just thought, there's no way I could have done that. That would have been, that would have been, that would have been him. You know, and I, and I always knew, I've watched my life just being moved around like a game of chess being put back in order. And, um, and that's how I, and from that moment forward, I knew he was real. That's it. You can't tell me this, you can't tell me that, you not because no one else, and no, not one living, breathing source of life on this earth brought me any form of love, any, they, no one. And so I met the ultimate. <laughs> and so I met the superior. And, and I still believe that now. Yeah. Well, I mean, so that was back in 2009, I mean, those initial stages. Yeah. So, I mean, what's happened for you um, since then, you know, obviously, you know, there's still, there's still life, you know, there's still ups and downs. So, I mean, what what sort of happened for you um, since then, so now? Um, well, after meeting him, that's, that's, that's how I, I, I think, uh, little did I know I went cold turkey, you know, like, I didn't realise, I was like, oh, Auntie, I haven't even had a cigarette or what in the frickin', I don't even want to, shucks, it's been like two weeks, this is cold, I like it, getting fat, <laughs> I'm putting on weight, mm. um, my first year, like, yeah, so uh, 5th of June was when I went to court and then Judge Budway ended up giving me all of that stuff and all of that. And, and so 5th of June is what I've got on my testimony on uh, Facebook because that day is a special day to me. Is when I, It's kind of like I left the wilderness and I started to walk into the light. So um, from 2009 to 2019, I lived a very good life. I... I um, me and my uh, ends up going back to Tauranga. I'd served all my time at my auntie's house. <laughs> she's just like an angel. Like honestly, she she's amazing, and she she lives. She's been in a wheelchair. She's paralysed from the chest down. Um, she's been like that for years, 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 and um, she's the first person in my life to ever introduce to me love what it felt like to be loved. And regardless of what my family might think and go, oh, we've loved you. <laughs> nah, you know, like I'm an adult, I'm 37 years old now, like damn, I know what it means to be loved and so do my children. So I stayed with her um, and by the end of the year, you know what's really cool is that I, I, I write a lot. So I, I like writing. Um, I don't know whether it's called a journalist or whatever, but however, like writing. And so um, my relationship with God was like actually pretty cool. And um, every every night I'd dream. I had prophetic dreams. I had dreams about the earthquakes and everything. And I wrote all these things down the next once I woke up. And um, you know those big A5 size calendar diaries, and they've got the tiny lines. I've got that. It's in my room, but I've got that. Every single page is a prophetic dream. 
That hit me right in the eye. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a prophetic dream and every second other page is a vision. So I started to, I couldn't properly read. My comprehension was really bad, so I didn't read for years. Um, and so the one that I met who changed my life to believe in something, he would visit me in my dreams every night. He told me everything that was written in the Bible. He told me every, a lot of things that were not in the Bible, but we're still spiritually in tune. Um, he showed me things that were going to happen um, in the future in regards to Aotearoa and that's pono, that's real talk um, a lot of people know me for that um, and my relationship spiritually hey! Shh. Um, <laughs> um, grew you know in, uh, my relationship with the Lord grew like that, and so my under so I gained an understanding on how it all was in that and in, in that belief kind of thing. Um, and then I moved. Me and my kids moved to Aussie. Moved to Australia in 2015, and we moved back in 2018. Like I done really well over there. Ends up being a part of a fashion show over there and. It still runs and goes today, which is the Pacific Runway. Um, that was really beautiful to like see, like just like flourish into like this amazing show. Like it was bad. It was like the biggest fashion show that um, Australia had ever experienced. So that was really cool. That was in Sydney. Um, and then basically just just did my life over there. I was running ministry. Well, during this time you released a testimony as well. Yeah, yeah, so... Um, oh yeah, so from 2015, that year, 10 years after, but like, um, yeah, I ended up running ministries and teaching classes, ended up becoming an ambassador for Faith Bible College in Tauranga. Yeah, um, because I went there as well and they loved me. They actually became my spiritual covering. And um, they realised that, yep, she's one of those ones. She's one of those ones that she gonna look like she ain't part, she, she don't, she's not down with it, <laughs> or she's not even walking right. But yeah, nah, they have my back and they still got my back no matter what. Um, so when I started running ministry online, I had over like, I had over, gosh, I think I had nearly like, about a good 45, 50,000 in just the group. And I'm teaching every single week. I'm teaching how to walk with God, how to not let the religious spirit of tradition and, and religion get self-righteously off, you know, because when, you, when, you, when you're too self-righteous and you're too religious, you, you know, there's no room for love. You can't have a loving relationship and then there's no freedom and then yeah, tamia, tamia. So, you know, like, I, and I love doing that, you know, like, I, I've, it, it, it's something that I still personally love doing. Um, 
And then I, I started doing conferences. I've done conferences like all across Australia, all across Aotearoa. And um, it was so amazing to the point where there were people being healed from these conferences. And at one church in um, Melbourne, you know, there were like 3,000 people came and that church was only a congregation of 200 and 1,500 people were saved, you know, and it was amazing. And it was, But it also came with a hard word, you know, like he would speak through me to others, which was usually the leaders. And no leader likes to be told what's up from a stranger or, you know, and, but they, you can't deny the word, you know what I mean? It's too powerful and the truth is truth. So after a while, a lot of, not only a lot of blessings and a lot of saved lives, but a lot of correction came with these things. And little did I know that those things were gonna like, I was gonna be persecuted for that. So a lot of churches started to not want my teachings, but more so pretty much state out there that I'm the devil. Um, one of the biggest churches here in Aotearoa started preaching about and against me that I'm the devil. And yet I've got a very, very interesting um, meeting that we had where I saw, I had a dream, a prophetic dream about this particular pastor, bishop, whatever you want to call him. And it was actually not even a bad dream, but it was a serious one because our creator was in it. And um, I wanted to meet him to tell him because I don't care about, I don't, it's like this, I don't care about who you are. You could be the highest gangster in the whole world or the friggin' or somebody that ain't got nothing. You know, at the end of the day, like, I don't listen to y'all. I listen to what, who saved my life. And anyway, they just they were happy to meet up and we met up at the Novotel and then I didn't even, I was like, anyway, I, I actually had a dream about you. And he was so offended. He slammed his hand on the table and he stood up and he goes, look, I don't need your ministry. And I was like, what? Looked at his wife and she was like, right, we'll wrap it up. And yeah, and I was like, <laughs> Well, then that means the dream was definitely true because there's no need for anything, you know. Like it doesn't matter how high you are, you still need edifying. You know, you still, yeah. And if you're offended like that, that means, nah, what, my dream was definitely true. And I had that dream way back when I was writing in my journal. It was just a matter of time, you know, like, there's no time in the spirit realm, you know. We, we're the only ones that have time, so I made the time and so did they and then it just went ugly. So, you know, and then next minute, you know, like all these, like they, a lot of the, 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 what is it? The big umbrella. Um, the umbrella academy is what I call them. <laughs> they all decided that they would slowly start preaching against everything that I had shared and, um, it hurt so much because I never got paid. I never took 
any money to even grow my ministry. Um, but however, most of my ministry came from America, Mexico and Canada. And I still have a lot of great connections over there to this day. But here in Aotearoa, that was the kōrero. And it hurt me because I had no intentions on ever hurting anybody. I wanted to just help others understand that it, you've got to believe in something, you know, and knowing who you are and how powerful you can be with all humility and meekness and, and with all righteousness and truth is, is possible. So, um, yeah, when, when I realized that was happening to me, I, um, I walked away. I chose to stand myself down from ministry because I was letting it affect me. And um, my, the online ministry that I was running, you know, they were like, no, you're fine. Look, honestly, it doesn't matter. We believe in you, Angel. And I was like, I know that, but I, I'm, I'm genuinely saying I'm starting to not like Christians because in my eyes, yeah, all that stuff came about after. But however, um, I need to stand down. So I stood myself down and it was probably the most hardest things to do. You know, like I could have fought back and just carried on and stuff, but it was genuinely hurting me. And I was sitting there thinking, but you're lucky I'm not, you're lucky I'm not freaking stool, you know? <laughs> Rolling around like a gangster anymore, like, Ugh. but I couldn't do that either because it was exhausting. So anyway, I left that for a few years and ended up coming back to Aotearoa in 2018 to remove family out of my house out at the farm in Rotorua for not paying rent for a whole year. And Maya, I ended up removing them out of my house. It was sad because it was my nan's younger sister and her partner. And um, in my eyes, I was like, "You should, you should be ashamed of yourself. Like you're, an, you're a queer. <laughs> you know, like you're, you're supposed, you're supposed to be an auntie. <laughs> but whatever. And anyway, I evicted them out of my house for not paying rent. Not long after that, there was a, there was a murder in my, uh, at my home. And then not long, a month or two after that, um, a younger sister of ours committed suicide while I just basically finished talking on the phone with her. And next thing you know, I'm actually living back in Aotearoa because I, everything, I was just getting caught up in everything. So 2019 was a very hard year. Um, and then I chose to relapse on meth and um, my friends and, and like they're all in the mob and that but you know like we all use you know like I, I love them no matter what but um, you know I'm sitting there like I want to puff I don't care and because everyone already knew that, that I was dealing with a lot and I've been gone for a few years you know making good doing good for myself and and then um 
that, you know, a lot of my friends are like, nah, come on, man, you're like, you've been, like, you haven't touched it for 10 years. And I go, yeah, but I know it's the only thing that is going to give me a break from all my emotions. I am so emotionally distraught right now. Therapy ain't going to work. Like, I don't do that. So anyway, I chose, I chose to smoke. And, um, and amongst all that time, it was, you know, from my aunties, from the murder at our house, at my farm, no one giving a crap because, you know, like, that was my farm, that was, that was my house, my kids' homestead, my whenua that I grew up on all my life. No one was caring about that. Um, and then there was more death in our hood. It was like dominoes. And then my nan's coming over and I'm happy to see her and I'm like, you're looking sick. And then she finally tells me she's got bone marrow cancer. And I'm like, what? So I'm smoking more drugs. Um, and then a couple of weeks, you know, it was like a month after that, my uncle, who's in the Mungo Mob, you know, like he, he tells, he, because I see him and I'm like, I'm going to look after you. You're going to stay with me now because you're, God, you're getting old and so little and oh my gosh, you're so gangster. Come on, you come home. So he always stayed with me every day up on our farm. And um, then he tells me he's got like months to live and I'm like, what? So two people that kind of mean a lot, you know, that mean a lot to me were on the thing of dying. So I'm like, what the heck? And then um, next thing you know, uh, my nan's my nan dies, and then three weeks after that, my uncle dies. And then a month and a half after that, now this is all within a nine-month period of 2000, since January, and the last thing to top it off was my little boy um, being taken off me. out of spite from my aunties who I evicted out of my home went into the police station and stated that I brutally beat my kid. And so that all of that caused me to relapse. And so I'm smoking every day. I'm just but I I'm just doing it to get through. I'm not doing it to get involved. It was different. And so, um, and then next thing you know, I'm going to court trying to get my son back. But I luckily I gave him to my parents. I quickly moved into my parents. So there's no way stuff's getting my kids. And this is this needs to be like sorted because it's like it's so bad. And and make it worse is that the things that they said in this the statement was just ugh. it made me it made me look like I was like wanting to kill my children and that's all I've ever known is to be a mum really regardless of the situations and whatever life can bring and all of that it was like out of spite just because I evicted them out of my home <laughs> they wrote a bold state they just went into the police station and the day they chose to do it was the day that my nan died so this is a lot to carry in 2019 and and you know what's trippy is that throughout the whole time I'm on social media famous. 
So it's kind of like trying to live two worlds. Um, I've got other people that felt left, let down from me and I've got other people that are just like, ah, see, she'll never change. But these people don't have never even hung out with me behind the scenes of what it's like being Angel Taylor, being a mum and then being from the hood. Um, and so with, that, with all of that happening within a nine month period, I, I seriously just, I could have broke down, but I know that smoking, you know, smoking meth was actually, it was postponing that. Um, but I needed that because there was just not enough time to, it was just like one drama after another. All these things coming at me and I hadn't even, I only just got back in the country nine months prior. And then my parents had disappointed in me and it was just like this big storm. Um, and so I started having to go to court to fight for my son and then came December the 21st, the day before my birthday. Um, my was the date of you know my trial or whatever and after all the amazing things that I've done since I changed my life around in 2009 all the conferences I held all the all the life coaching I've done the, the thousands of, I've seen over 50,000 people change their lives around just from reading my testimony you know from staying out of court for 10 years I still lost and um, I had so much um, hate towards my auntie. I was already used to my family not being there because they always thought, oh, you know, she's pretty, she'll get, she gets what she wants anyway, but it was never really like that. And so um, my little boy had to stay at my parents um, and I wasn't allowed contact with him to even explain to him why. Um, and then, um, yeah, like, all I knew was, and then next thing you know, me and my, I end up still having my little girl. And next thing you know, we're homeless. <laughs> We're homeless and I've got my car and my daughter and clothes and that's all we had and I had a few friends help me out with us staying there, here and there. But I knew what I had to do. I needed to get out of Rotorua. And so I ended up I've never been on emergency wins or anything like that. And then I finally just, I didn't ring wins, but I, I seen an advert on Marketplace and I ended up just inquiring and he goes, well, I haven't got anything actually available, but come by tomorrow anyway. Um, and so I ended up, me and my daughter ended up going the next day, met up with this homeowner. And um, when I got there, I had this massive, this massive three-story 
splash house in Malcolm Bay. And I was like, damn. <laughs> yes, that's pretty mean, all right. And I walk in and he goes, oh, look, I'm real sorry, I've got nothing available. And I was like, why did, why did you get me to come? Oh, you know, so thinking, why did you get me to come here anyway? Like, what's fill out an application for months later? I don't know, it's, it's all good, don't worry about it. And he goes, no, but, but look, I do, but me and my wife, we do have something. And I was like, oh, okay. And he goes, we've got a two bedroom flat you know, it's it's quite big and da 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 da. We've got a two bedroom flat. Um, it's just under renovation. It'll be ready in two weeks, about two weeks. Um, we're happy to offer that to you. And I was like, what? Oh my gosh, yes. And he, and then he goes, there's a catch. And I was like, and there's a catch. <laughs> of course, there's the catch. And he goes, and I go, what is it? And he goes, it's in Auckland. And I went, oh, I kind of. Didn't really want to move to Auckland, but can I just have a think about it? Because he goes, yeah, absolutely. And then anyway, I drove off back to my friend's place and I was just, I just, once I got back to my friend's house, I was just like, just the tension in the house was just like not our vibe. And I was like, but I rang him straight away and I was like, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it, I've got money, I can pay the bond and everything right now, because that's the thing, I was holding on to money like throughout this whole journey. And my daughter thinks it's just an adventure, you know, but that's only because I'm trying not to let her be affected by all the things that were happening. And also not let her build some kind of sadness because my son's not with us at that time anymore. And, and so I end up driving over the next day and then yeah basically done the tenancy and then he was like so what, what is your situation right now and I was like we ain't got anywhere the car my car <laughs> and he goes oh man oh. well in the end he ends up giving me the key and tauranga and he was like here look if you don't mind the renovation part and I was like I don't care man we got a house <laughs> and he was like yeah cool so he gave us the key and then me and my daughter if, uh, I borrowed like 40, uh, 40, 50 bucks for gas of a friend and we just jumped in the car and we drove to Papa Toy Toy. <laughs> and we, um, and I was just like, so this is it. My gosh, we've got, we, I didn't even have a bed, didn't have anything. And um, we just had the clothes, our clothes and blankets in the car. And, um, and that was it, you know, and then that was my, I knew that was my, my channel to get away from the myth, the, the, and, and actually refocus and realign myself and man, sort of go and hold God's hand again because it was hard, you know, having to deal with all of that and not expecting it, not even realizing this is, well, not realizing it was about to like happen like that, and and so once we got to Papa Toy Toy, I went on Marketplace and I just bought everything cheap as cheap as much as I could. Um, and Wiccan Wiccan Income helped me for the first time. It was hard because they weren't willing to pay me or give me anything for months when we first got back because I made too much money in Aussie. That was weird and hard. So. Um, and then when I, and then I realized, like, cause by then we're going into 2020 
and yeah, February 2020 we moved to Papatoetoe in Auckland and um, I had to I had to uh, n not train myself but I had to wean myself off drugs to just for the benefit of myself because I hadn't been my most happiest until those 10 years I was gone and doing really good and then when I came back to Aotearoa everything just crashed and I was just yeah so I needed to I needed to grieve I needed to grieve over my nan my uncle my friends um, and I needed to process my the hurt that my family did to me and then I needed to process and this was this was the hardest one and it was my little boy being taken from me because in the end when I you know when it came to the trial and all of that and I lost you know I now have an assault on a child conviction on my name on like you know and that, that is the most ugliest thing you could ever like I could ever have I'd rather have more violent charges or more <laughs> GBHs or something like that more police charges like police chases and stuff or anything I'd rather have a drug charge than assault on a child and so um yeah and then it was and, and at the same time I'm still doing social media like Oh, like, but people were following my journeys in there, in, in all of this, and, and that was the hardest thing ever. Um, to be real with my social media as well, you know, but but to um, hi, my darling. Hello. Say hi, Aunt. Oh, David. Sorry, why did I say Aunt? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Thank you. How was? We're just doing an interview. Okay, we're talking about life. So that's what they look like. Yeah. So I'll just do this, and then uh, Mummy will do you. So I don't know what's that. Yeah, I'll have a look at all of it. Oh gosh. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm going down with Oh, of course you are. <laughs> Shut my door, baby. Sorry, bro. I love you. <laughs> That's my daughter. Her name's Lily Atahua. Oh, you. Man, so cool. <laughs> so um, yeah. Also, when we got to Papatoetoe, I um, that was my chance to sort of recollect myself and think. Okay, now that I'm in Auckland, and then my Auckland friends were like. Dude, are you in Auckland? I'm like, yeah. And then, so, Dehamo and Chongni and um, ended up connecting with uh, Poetic and Black Man off um, Damn Native and that, like the whole music industry in, in that sense, you know, like, ended up connecting with them and so started doing a bit of work with them. Done, um, already was connected with Catch a Fire and them and done video clips with them. Um, and also with Poetic, so you know, that was a good positive thing to start getting on board with after everything I'd just gone through. Um, and then um, looked into TV and film school. Tomorrow I got Mufti and tomorrow I got Mufti and for a trip. Kapai.
And I gotta wear shorts now on the t-shirt. Hot it on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I started looking at TV and film school because I knew that I wanted to be a film director and create films and short films and stuff and um, because I had already done some in the past, um, I started to look at TV and film study and stuff and so UB's South Seas um, college, or like college came up and so I inquired and then I went for an interview there and then I got accepted and so for 2021 I was starting TV and film school there and it was, everything was just sort of getting back on board. I just wish I wasn't in Aotearoa, that's all. I wish I was still back in Aussie because we had a really good life there. But um, I couldn't go anywhere because my little boy was at my parents. Um, and so, anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, just so me and my daughter, we start settling back in. Maya, we settle back in, we, we, um, yeah, just, just settling, getting, gaining our stability again and, um, it, it, it took a lot of time for us to get there and, but we got there eventually and, um, and then so we stayed in Papa Toy Toy for the rest of the year and then I knew, and then I realised that TV and film school, Maya! TV and film school was actually in North Shore and I was like, oh, I'm in South Auckland, okay. Maya, shut up. This will go on for a little bit. Almost there. I know, right? Almost there. Almost there.